And welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. My name is Sandy Rice, and I am proud to be part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Check out TennesseeHoller.com to see the other podcasts and shows hollering the truth across Tennessee. Also sign up for the newsletter and make a donation as the holler is totally people-powered. Okay, well, I hope all of you know that the Tennessee legislature is in session and they're dealing with things like transgender athletes in bathrooms, making it easier to carry a handgun than casting a vote while ignoring our low rankings in healthcare and poverty while considering again to make the Bible our state book. My guest today is Elizabeth Madeira. She's the organizer from, she is an organizer with the Southern Christian Coalition. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for coming. Yes, thank you so much for asking me. It's such an honor to chat with you. (laughs) And meet with you. So your group is raising voices about some of these issues I spoke about. Tell us about the Southern Christian Coalition. Mission goals, when did it start? lots of things I want to know. (laughs) Yes, so Southern Christian Coalition was started back in 2017, um, just a group of grassroots organizers um, that wanted to elevate the voices of pastors and faith leaders in Tennessee who were willing to speak up against dangerous far-right policies. Um, At the time, what uh, the big issue was refugees. A lot of Republican governors across the country were refusing to allow refugees to enter their states. Um, And so pastors and across Tennessee said, wait a minute, one of our big top issues that Jesus called us to do is love our neighbors as ourselves, which includes welcoming the stranger, the foreigner, which is what the words in the Bible are, which of course includes immigrants and refugees, especially those fleeing for their lives, living in scary, um, dangerous situations. And so is part of our Christian duty to welcome those folks to our state. So they did, uh, this was before I was involved, they did a lot of grassroots organizing and gathering petitions and signatures and delivering them to Governor Haslam at the time. And I think it made a difference because they ended up not being um, welcoming a smaller number of refugees than we would have wanted, but still welcoming refugees and did not cut off the refugee program. So then since then, there's been a lot of advocacy work around expanding Medicaid, um, that that's, we believe, you know, provide making sure healthcare is affordable and accessible to those in need is a Christian value. Um, and since I, and I, I did join just the beginning of January of this year. And so we've done a lot of work, again, being opposed to the permitless carry bill, We've done work, like you mentioned, um, being grateful and celebrating the passage of the American Rescue Plan and the help that that gives to millions of Tennesseans. And then um, also we even yesterday made a statement about the Bible as the state book and saying that that is, you know, that's taking advantage of the word of God, right? And that it's not, um, that's not what it means to be a Christian. And it's also really, hypocritical. It's not only heresy, but it's also hypocritical to make the Bible a state book while passing policy that doesn't care for the least of these among us. So, which is what Jesus called us to do. So it's been really an honor to work with pastors all across the state. We have 
you know, pastors in Memphis and Knoxville and Gatlinburg and um, everywhere in between um, to just um, help elevate their voices in the media because I think they have a really powerful message to send. And unfortunately in the media, especially in Tennessee and in the Bible Belt, most of the pastors' voices who are elevated um, really are speaking what we believe is contrary to the word of God, you know, when they, and so we think it's really important to raise the voices of those pastors who believe in truly loving your neighbor as yourself. And so we, I'm honored to get to know and work with pastors across the state on that and elevate their voices in the media. Cause it's not like they, most pastors don't know how to get out a press release or put together a press conference. So we get to be the intermediary to elevate their voices. Good, good. How many, how many pastors do you have on your team? Would you say, do you know? So we have a few dozen that I work with, you know, regularly and have close relationships with, but in our database, we have hundreds of pastors across the state and that doesn't, you know, I just started working in January, so I don't have a close relationship with them all yet. And we've also, you know, our most recent petition that was against the permitless carry bill that has now passed the House and the Senate and is headed to Billy's desk. We had over 800 signatures on that. And a lot of them are people that are new to Southern Christian Coalition. So I'm looking forward to reaching out to more of those pastors that I don't know yet and getting to, um, yeah, getting to connect with them. Right, right. Well, um, I'm on your um, newsletter list and, uh, and I have seen several of, of them speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard about the press conferences and that's, that's really powerful and, and really strong. So I'm just thrilled that y'all are doing that. Tell us your mission statement. Yeah. So if you go to the website, what it says right at the front, um, it says across the South, politicians use ideology in the guise of Christian theology to push policies that harm our communities and isolate us from our neighbors. And we are Christians speaking up. And I think that that really puts our work in, in a good nutshell. <laughs> It is. It's very, very good. Well, let's talk a little bit more about um, several of the issues that that you focused on in in recent weeks. Um, Your battle for uh, sensible gun laws um, being the first. Uh, And um, I like, you know, I like history and I like stats, so I won't, you know, belabor this too much. But according to the state, uh, the Safe Tennessee Project, uh, Tennessee has a gun violence problem. Uh, in 2018, we were ranked 11th in firearm mortality overall and fourth for deaths between the ages of zero and 19. We were sixth in gun homicides for all third for zero to 19 years of age, 22nd in suicides using a gun, 18th in the category of zero to 19. We get a D minus grade in gun safety. And that's in 2018. I don't imagine we'll be doing much better in the future. So, so, so tell me a little bit about, um, well, your premise, I, I guess, is uh, that children and women are in danger. Yeah, I mean, I think we all are. And we've, um, we actually had an African American pastor reach out to us too, and said this legislation just feels like open season on black people, and it puts us at risk too. And, goodness, what a powerful and sad statement. But yeah, I th- we just really feel like um, 
as people of faith, one of our pastors quotes um, Martin Luther King Jr. a lot, where he says it's the role of the church to be the conscience. One of its roles is to be the conscience of the state, right? Mm -hmm. To let speak up when they're doing something wrong. And that's why they're speaking up because they believe this bill is wrong. It puts, it puts everybody at risk, you know, states that have past permalics carry, I've seen an increase in gun violence in their state. It doesn't, we know, every statistic shows us that more guns lead to more gun violence, mm -hmm. not the opposite. Yeah. So um, we believe that it's just putting our communities as, at risk, whether that's um, higher rates of homicide or suicide or mass shootings. I mean, no matter how a life is lost in all of those, each one of those lives is an image of God, is a life that's valuable. And we want to try to prevent deaths by firearms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it feels, you know, when talking to people, even people who don't follow the politics of it, are a lot of people are just really shocked that that's something that we would want to do is allow people to openly or, you know, conceal carry guns without needing a permit, without any training. And that you know, is the newest part of, of this uh, for this year is yes. not yeah. to go through any training, any permit, any background check. Mm -hmm. And this is for ages 21 and above 18 to 21. If you're military, mm. um, what's the, What's the other side? What's their rationale for this? Well, I think, you know, what we hear a lot is just that it's our constitutional right and nothing should be infringed upon it, which is just really wild because we have all kinds of rights in the constitution that don't mean, that don't have, you know, community safeguards, right? You can, like, we have the right to free speech but you cannot yell fire in a crowded movie theater, right? Right, and the so, government can't restrict, uh, can't restrict your speech, say that you can't say, you know, something, right? right. Yeah, yeah, which, which is what the gov our government has been trying to do a little bit um, lately too. But, um, and then um, also, you know, we have uh, permits for driving, a license for driving and a lot of uh, restrictions you know, on a lot of things, other countries don't have this problem because they don't have the second amendment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think that puts us in a bad um, um, situation. Um, anyhow, I wonder why if it's a uh, study has been done, I think Vanderbilt did this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that 75% of uh, Tennesseans felt that there should be some um, permit, some procedure, some licensing of some kind. Why do you think this legislature's legislative uh, or elected officials don't want to listen? Uh, people, yeah. Percent of us. Well, yeah. And this is one thing that I've just been, I'm just so inspired and grateful for the pastors we work with because they've been willing to come out and say, our elected officials should be paying more attention to the safety of the people than donations and power from political lobbying groups like the NRA. And I really think it comes comes back to that. There's a lot of, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of money that comes from lobbying groups like the NRA who push, you know, this is not just happening in Tennessee. There's other states, you know, it's it groups like ALEC push, pu push forward their pet projects. And so our Tennessee legislators are, and governor are, you know, pushing forward legislation that comes from these groups. So um, what do you think 
Governor Lee is kind of, where is he? You know, he, he is uh, a, a Christian and, and ha- seems to be saying that a little less often. Do you get that sense? Oh, that's interesting. I haven't noticed that, but I think one of our pastors last week at our conference said, um, Governor Lee continuously touts his commitment to faith and his religious community and the values and morals, he says, underpin his every actions. But, you know, where are your values now? Um, and you, where is your commitment to faith now? Your commitment should be to the people of Tennessee and not to one of the most dangerous gun lobbies in the country. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think- He met with yeah, the NRA think, last week, right in the middle of yeah, mm-hmm. all this and two mass shootings, not in Tennessee. Sometimes I wonder how, why, why? I mean, I'm glad there aren't, but, but why? We had the Waffle House a, a few years ago. And then, of course, uh, if you read the Tennessean or the Chattanooga Times you press, we still have a lot of, of shootings, but, but yes. so ones that capture um, the press, um, but that could happen any time. And um, it seems, too, that uh, there's a loud minority I think we're seeing this in a lot of situations across the country. This, the, the squeaky wheel, of grandma used to say, gets the grease. Well, you know, um, there was a uh, right-wing group that uh, wanted to lower the age of gun ownership to 18 for, for everyone. Um, and there's also a, a, a little snag in there about um, people that have uh, stalking, if you've been uh, charged with a, a stalking episode, uh, you can't own a gun. But if you're a, a spouse, but if you're a boyfriend, there's the boyfriend loophole. Um, and this was the legislation was to close that, but this group opposed that too. And, and fortunately, there was a little bit of reasonableness um, as this went, went roaring through <laughs> the legislature. So are you discouraged? Well, I think it is really easy to get discouraged living in Tennessee and feeling like your voice is not heard. But I think that we absolutely cannot give up. Mm-hmm. We know that the big money and the big lobbying groups on the far right, they are not giving up and we cannot either, right? right. And I think um, Tennessee has been ignored for too long. People have written us off for the past. 10 years as a red state, but, you know, I think there are a lot of people that the one that really, um, that really believe in reasonable politics that believe in common sense. And I think a lot of those, a lot a, a big job that we have is just getting the word out about what's happening in our, in our state capital, because a lot of people are not paying attention. And I think we can't make change unless we're, um, unless we're doing the work, unless we're making sure that people like Bill Haggerty and Marsha Blackburn don't get to be the only ones with the microphone. That's right. Okay. Where do we go from here? Oh, who's the we? Sands <laughs> <laughs> that believe in reasonable legislation. Yes. Yeah. So and here's something I think so for so long, so many people just 
vote with a letter by a name or they're not paying attention and they just go about their day and aren't paying attention to politics or we just trust that no matter what we say or do it's not going to help but i think everybody has a voice and we can all use our voices whether it's to call our legislators our specific representatives and senators or you know when an issue that is bothering us we can call everybody on a subcommittee right and so I think the number one thing that everybody can do is pay attention, listen to podcasts like yours, follow, you know, follow the social, the Southern Christian Coalition on social media and sign up on our website so you can get our information or from other and make sure to pay attention to the news. And then when something's bothering you, speak up. And that can be as little as signing a petition. It can be calling your representatives. It can also be as far as writing an op-ed. Or, you know, to make your voice heard. There's so many people I think feel like, well, if I'm in the minority, I shouldn't make my voice heard. But we need your voice even more. Yeah, I think don't give up. And also in our daily lives, make sure that we are doing what we can to make all of our neighbors feel welcome because we deserve to feel welcome too, even if, you know, our ideology may not agree with the majority of Tennesseans. (laughs) Well, and don't fear. Yes. And I think to remember that you're not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. There's organizations, yours, the Tennessee Justice Center. um, There's dozens to be involved in and to talk with like-minded people and gain uh, strength, you know, encourage, uh, um, encouragement to make, to make a difference in our, in our lives. So I really appreciate that about your organization. Let's talk a little bit about the American Rescue Plan. Mm-hmm. Here, we heard the $1.9 trillion. How would that, um, how would that affect Tennessee? Let me, let me just throw out some poverty statistics. You know, overall, at least before the pandemic, this is gonna throw everything off. The US was doing a little bit better um, and Tennessee was doing a little bit better, but we're still on the bottom half. We, um, on average, make about $10,000 less um, than in salaries, uh, less than the rest of the U.S. And we have higher uh, poverty rates overall, and especially for children under 18. And there's lots of inequality in Tennessee, depending on your race, education, obviously your employment status, but which county you live in. That's why we have, why I focus on rural Tennessee. Um, And then I'm going to throw in health stats because we might talk about Medicaid expansion. Everybody knows that's been my big thing. But we rank 43 um, uh, overall in healthcare outcomes. That's, of course, out of 50 states. And this is 2020 uh, data. In infant mortality, we're number 38, our little pro-life focus, number 38 um, in infant mortality, maternal mortality, number 33. Overall, the health of women and children, number four, 42. Um, Our life expectancy is decreasing while the rest of the nation is going up. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the pandemic affects the nation, but especially Tennessee, since we have had, I consider a weak response to both COVID and vaccination. Again, this abhorrence to feeling like we're being told what to do. Um, and that we continue to avoid uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, what what could it do? What what does your group see as helping mm-hmm. Tennesseans with this act? 
this plan? I mean, there's so much good in the American Rescue Plan. So, I mean, first of all, when we look at extending the unemployment benefits, so many people have become unemployed by no fault of their own. I mean, look, we also have Music City, so many musicians and anybody that works with or for musicians in the music industry has struggled in the past year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think being able to extend those unemployment benefits is the first thing. Then the actual stimulus money to help people who've been just barely getting by, you know, just- Beforehand. Yeah, even before the pandemic, so many people living paycheck to paycheck. And like our numbers of child, children in poverty, like you mentioned in Tennessee is horrendous. And one of the things that we've talked about at Southern Christian Coalition is the fact that we have, I believe it's over $900 million in TANF funds, which is temporary assistance for needy families, which is specifically to target families in poverty and children in poverty. And the Tennessee, our Tennessee leadership has just not been appropriately giving that money out. It's sitting in a fund, which is just heartbreaking to think about that there are children in poverty going hungry because they have decided to build up a rainy day fund on these, in these funds. And that's devastating. So, um, but one thing that this, um, that this, the American Rescue Plan is, includes is a change in the child tax credit. And we actually did a press conference on this a few weeks ago, because I think it didn't get a lot of mm-hmm. press, um, the child tax credit, but it does change for the better. Of course, it's for a year, and then we're ho- we hope that it will get extended by Congress. But one of the things about child tax credit, which a lot of people don't know, is it is historically has been non-refundable. So that means that if you're in poverty and you don't pay very much taxes, you don't get a child tax credit, right? Yes, so if you're struggling, if you're barely getting by, if you make, if you're in poverty, if you make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year you know, based on how many kids you have and you're paying, you know, not very much in taxes, which um, then that means you do not, you do not get the child tax credit. So you don't benefit from that tax credit at all. So by making it refundable, which this plan does, and by making it bigger, 250 to $300 a month, depending on the age of your child, um, that makes a huge difference. That's between three and 3,000 and 3,600 dollars a year per kid mm-hmm. for families a family of with three kids that's in poverty that extra almost ten thousand dollars can likely lift them out of poverty and I need to look up the numbers I don't remember if it's lifting half of children out of poverty but it's a really astonishing it is uh, it, number it, for the difference that it will make and I think that is something amazing and in our press conference we talked to two different families who have struggled over the past year who said this will make a huge difference. We haven't even been able to pay, we haven't been able to pay for childcare. So we're like managing working and low paying jobs while watching our kid at the same time. So this makes, this will make a huge difference for families. And then not to mention things like helping school districts have money to open safely. So many districts have been hesitant to open because they don't feel like they can do so safely. They don't have the resources to do that. And that will help. Um, in addition to all the funds that go to help the mass vaccination efforts, which help us get back to, I guess, quote unquote, normal sooner, but help us, you know, help give, help people get back to work, help everybody who's been struggling with not having a job, get back to work. The more people are vaccinated, the sooner we're vaccinated, the more we can return to 
closer to normal. Now that doesn't mean I don't think we have a whole lot of things we need to look at because normal before the pandemic wasn't necessarily fantastic for a whole lot of people. So we That's still right. have a lot of work to do, but um, so all of those funds are absolutely related to COVID, absolutely related to struggles families have been in and the economic um, impacts of everything. So it is certainly, I talked to quite a few people that said, knowing that plan got, plan got passed, knowing how it's going to affect my family helps me take a deep breath for the first time in over a year. Yeah. You know, I think the criticism about how much money it was, first of all, we gave a big tax break, uh, credit um, about four years ago um, to the wealthy, mm -hmm. further increasing the inequality in our country. It was supposed to, to do um, to give uh, corporations money to, to create more jobs. And that was pretty um, inconsistent. And I think that has been tried before and it just increases uh, the gap. But if you're, if you're um, you know, well off, you know, upper middle income, middle income, uh, with education and a home, you might have suffered some social um, changes, maybe a little financial. Um, but you just, when you can go back to work, get your vaccine and go back to work, you're, you know, you're pretty okay. But you can't recover mm -hmm. if you were struggling in the first place. You're just deeper, deeper, deeper down than, than you were before. And um, the opportunity, I've said from the beginning of the pandemic, we have such an opportunity to equal level the playing field for, um, for all Americans. So then I'm also reading a book called The Working Poor, uh, Invisible in America by David Shipler. It's a hard read, mm. uh, chapter after chapter of, of um, people, stories about not getting ahead. There's, there's very, no safety net. Many times for many people, there's no, there's no support. There's no help. Um, if something happens, it way beyond your control. You can't dig yourself out. Your family can't dig you out. Your friends can't dig you out because everybody's in, in the same um, boat. So that ought to be required reading for everybody as well as nickel and dimed in America. That was a book that I read many years ago. Um, and should have been required reading for high school students that thought that I don't need to know this history and math to <laughs> 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 start working because that's that's um, that's where it all starts. So let's lift some people out of poverty. You know the TANF funds too. Oh, that's been a thorn in my side for such a long time because they were created not as a giveaway, mm -hmm. which is what any of these programs are sometimes um, ca called or assumed to be, but to lift people out of poverty, mm -hmm. to help um, people with job training, um, maybe transportation, daycare. So mom, mom and dad, a lot of times mom, who's trying to raise kids without um, help can go and get some training and get a better job. Um, mm -hmm. And I heard one, uh, leaders say that we were saving it for people that really needed it, you know, and the, the rainy day. Now, I'm not a business person. Maybe you are more than me, uh, Elizabeth, but I think our, like our credit rating or something, United States is really good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that happens when you have a, a governor that's a businessman. <laughs> right. 
Yes, Tennessee is always ranked very high at fiscal responsibility. But like you mentioned, low in healthcare, low in public school education funding. It's like, um, if you look at public school funding in Tennessee um, and take account for inflation, they're like spending less than they did 20 years ago, if you take into account inflation, because we're just, we can't, in my opinion, we can't claim to have the Bible as the state book or be a state that values the Christian morals and values, if we're not living them out, which the number one thing Jesus said was love God and love your neighbor as yourself, take care of the least of these. And that's, abs that's absolutely what we should be doing with the TANF funds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't care what people's political ideology is or their religion is or where we come from. I think we all really believe that all children mm -hmm. should have access to healthy food, all children should have access to quality education because those are the, like all children deserve to be taken care of and loved. And that's part of the job of our ele elected officials is knowing that children across the state are taken care of. Yeah, exactly. We know uh, I, you had mentioned this, but I just want to mention it again that, that Governor Lee and Senator Blackburn really didn't think we needed the uh, American Rescue Fund assistance. Wow. People really reacted um, to that. I don't know if they've been able to change their minds, but I know there is a plan for using the TANF funds. Unfortunately, I had an article that said a lot of it was going for pilot, well, for research pilot projects. That's, I guess that's okay. And anti-fraud measures. And on this program, I, I've talked a lot about um, fraud. <laughs> and so, so we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. I was going to sneak in this question about the Bible being the state book, but you, but you climbed on right ahead, right, right away. So thank you, Elizabeth, for taking away my summary. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I will admit yesterday we said, you know what, we should put out a statement about that. And I just sent text messages out to about 10 pastors and said, do you have any thoughts on this? You know, we want to put together a statement. And usually when you send out a text message, I mean, pastors are very busy. It's Holy Week. They are, they are very busy. So I anticipated, oh, I'll hear back from, you know, maybe two or three and that'll be enough. But, you know, almost all of them responded and said, yes, most of them within five minutes had um, statements ready to go because they already feel so deeply about it. And so I'm, that's why it's an honor to be able to give their voices and their statements um, a way to be heard. Mm -hmm. So by the rest of the state. Okay. So. Lots of fodder for sermons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. How can people join your organization and get on yeah. that wagon? Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, go to the website. We're at southernchristians.org and you can sign up and that'll put you automatically on our newsletter uh, and keep you, you know, when you're on the newsletter that will keep you up to date when we have petitions going or things like that. Um, and then Follow us on social media, share our stuff on social media. When we get press coverage, feel free to share that so that you can also further elevate the voices of those pastors when they make a statement about something that you agree with or believe in. Um, I, think, I think it's really helpful um, for their voices to be heard, not just for those who maybe disagree with them, but also for those who agree with them to say, I'm so grateful that there are pastors speaking up on this. I'm so grateful I feel less alone. It makes it 
Um, I think it definitely can be isolating to live in Tennessee when you um, when you feel like the majority of your elected officials are passing harmful legislation, right? Right. And to know that you are not alone and to know that there are pastors and faith leaders that are um, raising their voices together, I think it helps us build a community across the state, so. And you know, another thing that's just, is just so wonderful about what you're doing is, I think a lot of people see their church and their pastor and their faith community as a safe place mm-hmm. to speak and wonder out loud and ask questions. So, you know, you may be a gateway. I'm sure you are a gateway to a lot of people that will become more and more active either with your organization, another organization uh, or on your own. You know, um, we're all, we all can be activists and that doesn't mean that we're protesting or getting into good trouble or marching across bridges or, <laughs> you know, all that. If, if, if people think, oh my goodness, you know, I can never wear a pink hat, um, knitted hat. Um, um, but you know what? A lot of people uh, can do, you know, and will, and that's what we need. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Everybody listening, remember that your voice is important and don't be afraid to use it. So we are, we're, there's, there's millions of us and it's good thing to find each other. That's right. And it's, you know, it's fun too. It's fun. I've met so many people with my podcast all over the state. And when, if we can ever get rid of COVID and this infectious disease, I'm saying we're all going to get together and just hug. That's right. <laughs> we're all and who's short. Who's That's got- right. I know. I, yes, it's, I, you know, I've been working with these pastors for months and <laughs> last week was our first in-person press event yeah. in about almost a year. So, you know, it's been like, I was like, oh, you're a lot taller than I realized. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Elizabeth. Thank you again. And uh, we'll talk, we'll talk again um, soon, I hope. Yes, absolutely. Um, great things that have come about or the challenges. Um, Elizabeth Madeira is the organizer, is an organizer for the Southern Christian Coalition. Um, our topic has been that today. Um, and some legislation in the state, it's not over yet. We go until uh, the end of April, check social media, check the Tennessee holler, as Elizabeth had said, and I am telling lots of people, it's frustrating sometimes to call your legislature, le- legislators, it, it, especially if they're not thinking like you, but you have more people to call if a bill is up in committee and you can go to tennessee.gov and start exploring that um, about how you can do that. I'll tell you what, I've been doing that a lot um, on voting issues mm-hmm. and the people that answer the phone are very nice, mm-hmm. very nice, very happy to hear from you. And when I visited, when I have visited um, people at the Capitol, they're always happy to see you legislators. I don't think they have enough people visiting and calling. Mm-hmm. You know, so we need to change that. This has been what about us with the Tennessee Holler podcast network. Uh, check out the other Uh, podcasts are all a little bit different and there's also some shows um, and there's a free for all Tuesday and get the newsletter make a donation 
and uh, be safe, be well, be vaccinated. Mm-hmm.